The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is the CEO of One Campaign, Gail E. Smith. And she's here to talk about the COVID pandemic and how the heck we're going to get out of it. So, Gail, one of the um, first questions I have written down for you today um it's just tell us about yourself because i think people i want people to walk away from this conversation that we have this morning um and walk into it really very with like high attention i need them to listen to every word that you say so i want to i want the viewer or not the viewers the listeners at home to know a little bit about your background so they know why they so 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 they understand why they should listen to everything that you say next (laughs) okay great um, well, currently I run an organization called One Campaign, <clears throat> and we're an advocacy organization that focuses on uh, extreme inequities like global poverty and ending preventable diseases. But I've had a lot of privilege in my lifetime to, to do some, uh, I think, pretty amazing things all in the spirit of you know, building a world that is more fair. I served in the Obama administration for eight years uh, at the White House, and then as the administrator for USAID. Uh, I was at the Center for American Progress with your former guest, Joe Serenciani. Wonderful. uh, For some years, lived in Africa for 20 years. Um, Just recently, I went back into the Biden administration uh, last year to help mount the global response to the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I've worked on a lot of these issues that shape the global pandemic today, HIV and AIDS. I was one of the leads on the response to the Ebola epidemic in West Africa, Uh, but also on the economic dimensions, because I think part of what we're seeing with the pandemic uh, is that it's creating more inequity around the world rather than closing that gap. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you um, were able to just share a little bit of that because um, you are one of the people that we should listen to in a moment like this one um, in terms of what we need to do to get out of this pandemic. And I want to be clear, I'm starting this conversation, uh, you should know from the premise that we're not out of the pandemic, we're in the pandemic. You're right. Like we're in sort of like a high plateau right now. Like this whole idea that the pandemic is over, we're going back to school, we're going back to work, everybody's going back to campus and colleges and you know, concerts and the NFL and the US Open and the VMAs, like without masks, like, I don't know what those people are thinking. I'm not sure. But they're not like living in the same reality that I think you and I are, which is we're in a very much still in the pandemic, right? Last month, worldwide, we know 22 million documented cases. Does that sound like this thing's over? No, I, I think Part of the problem is I think I think people got tired of it. And I, you know, I get that. The the whole pandemic experience has been difficult and 
challenging and exceedingly challenging uh, for a whole lot of people. But the virus is still out there. And the, the real risk that we face is the way these viruses work, right? All they want to do is infect more people and replicate and replicate so they can mutate into something faster, better, and smarter. That's how we got Omicron. That's how we got something that's much more contagious because the virus had the space to do that. So the, the risk we face is not only a continued stacking up of the numbers of people who get this, of the people who then live with long COVID, of the people who die from it, but we're giving the virus an out so that it can go out there and replicate and come up with some new iteration and take us on another round. It's so frustrating. <laughs> it's so yeah. frustrating because I understood this really early on and, and the listeners at home know my dad is a biology professor. So ah. he, he explained this to me at the very beginning and I always joked that like he called me in a panic and it was like, you need to leave Brooklyn, take the cat, like you're going to come in because he lives like in the woods. Um, not mm -hmm. on purpose. Not he's retired. So like it, he's also he teaches biology now, but in his retirement. So he, yeah. you know, he so and they're kind of like in you know in the woods a little bit. So he was like, "You're gonna come here. That's what you're doing. It's a big, big emergency. Get on the plane now. Um, put on a mask. That's what he said. Put on a mask and get on a plane." Um, and so years into this, I feel like everything he has said and everything he um has said since then has sort of come true, and that's because it's all based in the science. So help us understand what you mean by, you know, our behavior impacting the virus's ability to mutate. And and I wanna sort of even think beyond the United States, because one of the problems that we identified at the beginning of the pandemic that we haven't fixed, um, to my knowledge, is the fact that we had, we have to vaccinate the world, not just right. us. Like we're not even getting vaccinated or boosted ourselves. Like 20% of people are fully boosted. That's like insane here in the United States. That's the stat. Um, but worldwide, that that's actually what we need to be focusing on perhaps and doing otherwise like even if we did vaccinate the whole country 100% like that wouldn't get us out of the pandemic still exactly well you know um and your dad sounds like a very smart guy <laughs> yeah um, he's um, a very popular guest on our radio show also <laughs> I oh, love that's him that's great yeah that's great so <laughs> so think about it this way like a, a virus doesn't pay attention to borders and it goes to where it's got the greatest opportunity, right? That's why we see high incidence among unvaccinated people. And if you look at a lot of countries around the world, the way the vaccine, vaccine coverage has unfolded thus far is that in wealthier countries, vaccine availability and coverage is much, much higher than is vaccine availability and coverage in low-income countries. And it's the, the difference is stark enough. I mean, that's why I said at the top that we're widening inequity rather than reducing it through this. And what that means is that the virus has plenty of space in the United States to mess around and replicate. It's got huge swaths of territory and populations around the world, particularly in low-income countries where the vaccination rates are so low, which is why even though people have, for reasons clearly you and I don't understand, sort of said, oh, I'm really tired of this. The pandemic's over. It's not. And we've got to keep working to get those vaccination rates up and to make sure that those countries can rely on a steady flow of vaccines. Do you think that we also, because one of the things about 
the vaccinating the world piece that you just explained, which I think is like the most important part of this, yeah. is it's only part of it. Because, okay, I was I was sort of obsessed with this point um, over the weekend because I watched a concert in Japan. And yeah. in the Tokyo Dome in Japan, there are 55,000 seats and it was completely full. And every single person that I saw on screen that like panned the audience had a mask on. And they were wearing it properly. There were no chin chin strap masks. There was, nobody had it under the nose. I was like, they're even wearing them correctly. Like this is I this is wild. Um, but I but I I looked up the numbers in Japan just because I was curious. They are having currently a surge, but only twenty around twenty seven thousand I think people maybe twenty eight thousand have died in the entire pandemic in Japan. And one yeah. of the things I keep thinking about is that. We sort of have done this thing, and the Biden administration has done this thing where they're like, okay, get the vaccines in arms, and then you can take your mask off. But, like, was that wrong? Because in other parts of the world, one of the things that they do is, like, when the numbers go back up, they in, they implement their mask mandates. I'm talking about certain countries across Asia. Um, they'll implement their mask mandate. Everybody puts their mask back on. The numbers go back down. Then they'll take their mask off again, and then they sort of live their lives like that. Um, but they're living their lives like they're not locked down. They're just wearing masks and going to concerts in the Tokyo Dome. That sounds like a really fun time, but I really wouldn't want to leave there with COVID. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of afraid of people at the U.S. Open. They're, they're having a great time, but I'm really concerned that they're going to be leaving with some COVID, not just good memories of Serena Williams. So can you talk about how vaccination may not be like the only piece of this solution that you're talking about in terms of the long term oh you know, path out, path out of the pandemic. No, you're absolutely right. Because like one of the things we know is that masks work. And we also know that even if you're vaccinated, you can get the virus. Yeah. And people argue, well, but you don't get that sick. That's not the only point. The point is you are allowing your body to be a space where this virus can gain more momentum, right? So yeah. there are two reasons you don't want to get it. You don't want to give the virus a an opening and you don't want to get sick. So I think, look, I'm somebody, I still, I wear masks if I'm in an Uber, if I'm in a public space, if I go to an event at the grocery store and I find um, I stand out more than I would like. Because yep. uh, I think more, more people have stopped wearing them. I think in a country like Japan, they've got the experience of the SARS epidemic, which mm -hmm. was really, really terrifying. Uh, and I, I think, so I think there's some historical knowledge. Yep. The other thing that is, I think, different here, tragically, is that this pandemic got politicized from day one. And you rightly said when you're talking about your dad, like, this is about science. This is mm -hmm. a quantitative, measurable problem. This isn't, there's no ideology in this virus, but it got so politicized that, I mean, I don't know, we got to the point that wearing a mask was a proxy for freedom or something. Right. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of beyond me. So I think that's made things very, very complicated here. Look, if, if I were, and, I, and I've got a lot of respect for colleagues and friends that are, are working at CDC and other places, my preference would have been that the message be you know, maybe you're not required to wear masks, but we would encourage everyone to keep wearing them, particularly if you're in a public event or something that reminds people about why they're still important. Because uh, we're not exercising 
And this is anywhere in the world. There's a discipline that can conquer this virus, right? right. It's the vaccinations, it's the masks, it's the testing, it's the all of those things. And I think the tragedy of the and the frustration and the thing that makes me go over the top is this is doable. Yeah. Like we are smarter than this virus. That's why I was looking at Japan. I was like, they figured it out because not yeah. that like they're not having an issue. Every country in the world is having, you know, sure. differing levels of success with the virus. But when I looked up the their number of dead and I'm like, that's how many people we lose, like basically in seven days on average in the United States, 20,000 people die every week um, in the United States because basically we average around 500 people dying every day. That's at our plateau level. That's not even at our sort of surge level. Um, and we've basically said, like, we're fine with that. We're fine with that. Go back to normal. Um, but they have not. And they've had, you know, obviously they're having a surge now, like I said, but they haven't lost nearly as many citizens as we have. And yet the discipline of having everyone in the Tokyo Dome have their mask on properly and, and almost like an understanding that we're all doing this together because it only works if we all participate together. <laughs> that's the key. It, that together is the key word, right? Yeah. When I worked on the Ebola response, for example, it was it was horrifying. I mean, that's a, a utterly horrifying disease. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, when you see all the firefighters in California trying to bring a fire under control. I mean, that's what it felt like in West Africa. I, I don't know that I've ever had an experience in all of my work where I felt like everybody was so together and pulling in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Countries from all over the world, health workers from all over the world, citizens, I mean, everybody. And the, the power of that was not only that that epidemic was brought under control, but it was a huge victory for everybody. And I think part of the challenge on COVID is that, that kind of inspiration globally is what we needed and still need that, hey, if we all pull together, we can knock this out. And the, the big challenge now, I don't want to frustrate you more, but there's another big hurdle out there that we've got to get over. There's two. The damage done from this pandemic, we've seen it in the states where it's hit the most vulnerable, the hardest, and the mm -hmm. most often. That's true globally. So we've got countries that are falling into debt uh, and solvency crises because the economic impact. And we got to get ready for the next one because this isn't the last virus that's going to upend our lives. That's another thing my dad says all the time. And I'm like, I think that's, I, 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 I like your dad. Give me my best. I will. I will. You know, what's funny is every time I have one of, um, one of the, the docs, like I, when I had Dr. Olsterholm on, I sort of like, you know, my dad is, he, he follows a lot of these folks very closely. He reads everything. And so when I'm like, you know, my dad said this, and he was like, oh, your dad, you know, that's right. I'm like, so I'm going to tell my dad. I let, It's his birthday today, so I'm going to tell him all of these good things that people are saying about him. Um, but really, he, he'll be like, it's just science. Like, he'll be like, it's not me. I didn't do anything. I literally am just reading it it's and just, going by the right. science. Yeah. He's right. And I think, you know, it's part of our bigger our, our bigger challenge. It's It's facts. It's science. It's... And the beauty of that is that means we can do all the things we need to do. It's the challenge I think that we face is there's a lot of division and not mm. just in this country, but around the world. Right. Yeah. And it's a question of political role. And I think, look, I wouldn't want to be a world leader right now because the world is going through a lot of, a lot of things, but I think world leaders need to still be coming together on this and do better on that front.
because that's going to give us the global response we need and the political leadership we need at that end. Absolutely. In the last few minutes here, can you talk a bit more about the economic piece? Because yeah. I don't think that's one that really is in the headlines a lot about um, the economic impact. I mean, maybe we talk in domestically about like the economic impact on women or family, you know, like we talk sort of um, kind of kitchen table level. But can you talk higher level in terms of what countries actually have been devastated? Because I'm sure it's not I mean, we are not the only country that had a huge economic downturn at the top of the at the beginning of the pandemic. Nothing. This is a global event. So. So, OK, remember what and I don't really remember anything before the pandemic. So but remember <laughs> from the beginning of the pandemic, like businesses closing and it still happened, like small mm -hmm. businesses closing, people being thrown out of work working families that suddenly had their kids home, right? There's all this economic upheaval. In, in low-income countries, say across Africa, one of the things that happened very quickly is that the tourism industry collapsed, right? Because people stopped right. traveling. Right. And that had this ripple effect because there's so many businesses. So that's the tourism industry, which means your restaurants and your hotels, which means your laundry services, which means your cleaning services, which means your local transportation services. Huge loss there, immediately huge loss. Now, in countries like the United States or in Europe, we've got the ability to kind of go to the central bank, pass a big supplemental, right? A piece of legislation with literally trillions of dollars in it to, to respond to that and to kind of ease the shocks. Poor countries can't do that. So what happened to them? They saw their revenue going down. They saw their joblessness increase, but they didn't have anything to put against it. So their debt got bigger. Uh, then, by the way, you have the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You had a food security crisis. So these countries have not only not recovered yet, they are in sharp decline. So they're running out of money. They're massively in debt. Their futures are in jeopardy, particularly in, in countries like you take a country like Ghana, which has made extraordinary progress over the years and is now facing a real financial crisis. And so that's kind of the imbalance we have. And again, it's, it's a story about we have more tools, obviously, in wealthy countries than poor countries do to deal with these kinds of shocks. And the world hasn't yet kind of delivered in solidarity with those low-income countries. And also because it's smart. Countries blowing up is not helpful to anybody uh, to help ameliorate that impact. So it's really, it's severe. Taking deep breaths today, I think, a lot this morning. We just talked to Joe about what's yeah, happening with Zaporizhia. So put you on a... Uh, well, notes before. No, no, no. You know what I'll do? We're going to go to a break because we, unfortunately, we have reached the end of this particular segment, but I would absolutely love to have you back, um, sure. you know, over the course of the next few years, because this economic impact, as you just explained, I think a lot of people are like focused on like restaurants in New York City and they forget the fact that there are restaurants all over the world and <laughs> there are businesses all yes. over the world. And as you just explained, hotels, restaurants, the people who launder everything that is in the restaurants, the people that deliver the food that goes into the restaurant. Um, or into that hotel resort that you're not going to because it's a pandemic and you haven't been on vacation in many years. Um, you know, if that's yeah. you at home, like that, the economic impact, I think is something that 
is ongoing and it's something that I would like to talk about as we continue sure. on. So thank you so much for being here. Gail E. Smith, CEO of the One Campaign. I really appreciate you being here this morning. It was such so such a great conversation. Obviously, like we want to talk about Serena Williams. We'd rather talk about that, but um I'm all for to... talking about Serena Williams. Yeah, no, maybe next time. Next time. We'll okay. Well, thanks for having me and happy birthday to your dad. I will tell him. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We're gonna take a very quick break. We're all gonna take a deep breath. Um, because um I think this has been a lot for a show, but also it's important to have all this information. You got to be clear-eyed going out here in, into the world. Um, we're taking a break. We'll be right back after this break. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.